Thank you for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more podcasts, visit brumradio.com. So we are back with another amazing guest episode here at the Fashionemics. We told you the guests are just getting amazing. We've got a huge, huge list of people that are bringing on the podcast. We are so proud and so happy. The amount of people that are reaching out and the amount of people that are agreeing to come on and speak to you guys and speak to us right here at the Fashionemics. So this week, we are very proud to say that we are interviewing James Harper, the CEO and founder of The Sneaker Doc. Not only do we love the business and the business model, and of course, his dog Simba. But we absolutely love that James is also Birmingham-based. He's a, a great, uh, a great brand, offers a great service, and we're really proud as well that he's from the Midlands. So we really hope you enjoy this interview. Okay, as we said in our introduction, we are so happy and excited to welcome James Harper, the owner of The Sneaker Doc. So hi, James. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting to us today. No, thank you for thank you for giving me the opportunity to kind of speak on the platform. We're really excited to hear about your business and how it came about. So talk to us about when it started and I guess why. How did you find this gap in the market? Yeah, of course. So I started the business back in the back end of 2018. I think at the time I had just kind of, I'd exited a job working, I was, I was working at Gymshark at the time. I had a really great time there. Things didn't work out for various reasons. I'd, I'd gone traveling. And I think I'd hit a point in my life where I just wanted to do something for myself. And I kind of wanted to create a brand. So I wanted to do something, I kind of wanted to prove to myself that I could kind of be creative and build something special. Um, so I was kind of in the mindset of, you know, I was kind of in the mindset of, right, what can I do for myself? What can, how can I start a brand? And I never planned to start a sneaker doc, but I think because I was in that mindset, I almost fell into it. So it basically came about, so one day, one of my best friends, Charles, we'd, we'd had a night out the previous week. Things got a little bit messy, as they do. And I saw her the week after. In, in that time, I'd actually cleaned my trainers because I, you know, when I was growing up, I was so big into my trainers big into like you know my fashion and so I would spend a Sunday kind of cleaning my trainers getting them fresh so I knew how to kind of do the process so obviously after a big night out you know I tackle one of my queens that my mom had had a massive go at me about buying she's like you're going traveling you just come out of a job why are you buying those and then obviously on the back end of that I've had a great night out clean them and the next week I saw my mate Sharma she's like how are they so clean I was just like like it's just something I can do she was like are you joking me? Like, I'd pay for this. Like, I'd, I'd absolutely pay for this. And then that's kind of when the light bulb went off. And I thought, you know what? I really could make a service out of this. You know, we're going into, a, into an era where the sneaker market is just growing and growing. But it's going away from kind of being real. It's not just about enthusiasts anymore. It's actually a bigger market. You know, everybody okay. now has that one pair of trainers that they love. Yeah. So my kind of... My, ide- my ideology behind it was that I could offer a service, but on the back end of it, build a brand so people could build trust. Because obviously, at the end of the day, you know, cleaning trainers are worth anywhere from £250 to £1,000. So it had, to, it had to be relatable. People had to trust mm-hmm. it. And I think at the time, I was a bit naive to actually how much of a niche it was. I thought, okay. you know, I might do, might do maybe five or six pairs 
my, you know, I, I can buy myself some nice clothes, you know, it'd be a nice little bit of side hustle. And the first week we had, I think about 30 pairs booked in. Wow. And it just snowballed from there. From day one, I, I couldn't have imagined it becoming what it is today. Um, but it became very apparent that it was such a gap in the market so early on in the journey. It just grew so quickly, especially locally as well. Yeah, because you're based in Birmingham, aren't you? Whereabouts is your store? Yeah, so my shop's basically Brindley Place. So it was a road called Sheepcoat Street, which runs alongside Brindley Place. So it's nice, great. Such an amazing feeling. And I could never have imagined having a store in the middle of Birmingham. I'm just, you know, I'm just a local lad from Birmingham. And it's so nice now being central to Birmingham. And and it's really changed. The business, I'm getting to meet a lot more customers. It's great. It's incredible. So, yeah, we're we're based in the middle of Birmingham. We operate nationwide. People can post in. We do a lot of collection routes. We've obviously worked with retailers in the past, doing drop-offs. So, yeah, we, we operate nationwide. But predominantly based in Birmingham. It's a business that you almost have to be based in that location for it to scale because obviously, yeah. you know, not, not everybody wants it. Although you can, you can post obviously via an insured method and we've never had anything go wrong. It's, it's a lot easier to get the buy-in locally. So you're a, you're a true Brummy bab then. Yeah, absolutely. I am. I've got a bit of a concoction of accents, but my Brummy and my, my, my Dudley, it can come out every now and again. Dudley? No, I've not got Dudley. No, it comes out every now and again. And it just and someone picks you up on it, and you're like, <laughs> "I'm more brummy when I speak to Sophie." Sophie's got that that brummy twang, haven't you, Bab? I've got the I've got the Wolverhampton twang, which I think is worse. <laughs> you got to own it. Right? So the the place in Brindley Place that you've just opened that's quite recent, isn't it? Yeah. So I, I got the keys back in gosh March time. But it was. Oh, I thought it was more recent than that. No, but it, I mean it was. I mean, God, I thought I'd be, I thought I'd be moved in within the first month, and how wrong uh, I was. But it was always, I think, it was kind of like the pinnacle of the business within Birmingham to, you know, open that store in the middle of Birmingham. And I don't like doing things like by half. I have, I have like mm. a rule in life that I never settle for average. I try and embody it with most things in life, whether that's like you know the business or like when I'm eating out. I just that's just my thing so mm. it was a massive project it took a long time we obviously had a, a big bump in the road um at the end of july so i'd say we've been we've been active in the in the new shop since kind of september time so it's very new still um still stupid things aren't done but that's the world of doing a renovation but it's incredible and it's, it's changed the business we were very we used to have a lot of collection days so I'd, the van would go out maybe three or four days a week People love right. convenience. So yeah. we'd go to someone's house, collect the trainers, take it back. We'd clean the trainers. And then once they're done and customers are happy, you know, we drop them back. So many people are coming into the store now. So it's a bit bizarre for me, to be honest. But it's nice at the same time. You yeah. get to meet so many new customers. And actually, maybe prior to having the shop, I was a bit naive. I was maybe like, we're so big on social. I'm one of the biggest in Birmingham. I'm doing all right. And actually, we've had so many new clients from like having a physical marketing presence. And I'm like, this is, this is amazing. So I'm, I'm excited for 2023. I feel like this is that perfect, this is that year where like we're in that perfect trajectory. Did you feel that COVID set your business back? Were people still wanting their trainers clean? Because I guess they weren't going out as much. So was there that need? Did really well, you know. So, I mean, I, okay. I was quite lucky. Obviously, we're a laundrette, so we could stay open. I, ah, could, I see. I couldn't let my business, like I'd done so much hard work for two years. Yeah. Let it just rot and fail. I just wasn't willing to accept that. So 
we stayed open throughout lockdown and we actually did so well. And I think it's because people were like, oh, I'm, I'm not wearing my trainers. I'm not going ah, on these, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not going on these massive holidays. I'm not spending a thousand pounds here. People had a lot more, they had, a, they, they had a lot more small change. Spending 35 pounds to restore their trainers was actually a much better option than spending a thousand pounds. I mean, that's always been the business model. And that's always why it's done quite well. Because, you know, what would you rather? Would you rather go and spend a thousand pounds on a brand new pair of yours or, you know, have that brand new feeling from 35 pounds? Absolutely. And I think it's the same with COVID with, I guess, people spend and invested more time on skincare. So investing in those pieces that they they cherish. And because you're right, they did have that disposable income. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you, you, you tend to notice it more now, especially with the, you know, obviously everything that's going on in the world, kind of the, you know, the economics. We are getting, people are kind of, you know, taking a chance more with yeah. the service, a lot of newcomers. And they go in like, well, like, I, I didn't know that I could do this. I, yeah. I, I, I'd have thrown away my trainers. So it's a, there's a really nice sustainability piece on it as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Do you have to have really high insurance? Like what happens if you get a really expensive pair of trainers and it goes wrong? Like what would you do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course. So like, we do have like, obviously it's, it's something that hasn't always been like, it's not something that people would naturally insure for. So obviously yeah. I have to go and get like a tailored, tailored, um, God, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a liability um, insurance. Like, yeah, like coverage. So, you know, yeah. I have very high insurance and luckily after kind of four plus years and having done like over 20,000 pairs, there's not wow. many. You're the expert. Yeah, you really are. And I feel like, you know what it is? The quality of certain brands is, can be so surprising. And really? Even down to like new pieces. So like there's, there's, a, there's some new Louis Vuittons and the way that they've been manufactured, they haven't set the dye properly. So the dye runs. Oh. And if you don't know that and you go and you, you, and you know, you, you go about your business, your normal way, you're safely cleaning the trainer. Oh, great. The dye is bleeding out into the white. If you don't know that, you're going to run into like problems. Yeah. Luckily, if you know how to get rid of it and to stop it, <laughs> you're all right. You know, you're all right. And you kind of go, all right. So next time you go into that clean, you go, okay, I can't do that. Yeah. Off-white do these canvas, um, vulcanized trainers. It's white canvas. People try and put them through the wash, the red cross bleeds. I tend to stay away from them now purely because we're so busy and it's sometimes it's very hard to communicate to people why Oh, so you, you say no. You'd actively say, sorry, I'm not prepared yeah. to do that. Because for me, I want someone to get value from the service. Like, I don't just yeah. want to take the money. And yeah. also, I feel like people gain a lot more respect for you if you are kind of transparent with them. 100%. You know, it's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's rare that you get trainers like that. You know, the, on, the, on the mass, you can, you can do wonderful work. But I think sometimes people will also compare that to a pair of white leather trainers. And mm. leather is a much more workable material. You can, often, you can clean it a lot more. You can paint it. Whereas white canvas, where the red suede is bled into, you know, the white canvas, I can't do anything for that. So yeah. that's where we've had to go like, sorry, it's not worth taking anymore. But obviously, if you're starting out and you don't understand that, yeah. you're going to a situation and that's going to be awkward so I don't really get into situations like that anymore that's okay. yeah. sensible sensible decision so do you have like a huge waiting list for your services obviously you must be so so busy and it looks like these things take like time you're obviously really looking after the piece like do you find that you're like you're just so booked out I find it really hard to like do bookings because one it's really sporadic in terms of how the workload comes in you can have a day where you can have five customers bring you know two pairs in 
Or you can have a day where a customer brings 15 pairs in, someone brings in two pairs, someone brings in five pairs. Wow, and yeah. It's still a small business that really relies on cash flow to grow and still has yeah. so much to grow. So you just have to kind of take the work on and juggle it and just set expectations. But the hardest thing is, is that it could take me an hour to do a pair of trainers. It could take me four hours. I never put that onto the customer, yeah. which is which is a bit of a difficult one because sometimes customers are like, oh, well, it's taking longer. I'm like, that's because the stain's really difficult and I'm trying to get the best possible result. It's not yeah. because I'm proactively being lazy, I'm not doing your work. It's just that you've given a really challenging piece of work and I'm not charging by the hour, I'm charging by the piece. So mm. that, that's been the challenge as it's kind of scaled its point because it's a very voluminous business. Yeah. So no waiting list, but just an absolutely chaotic life. What's the most expensive pair of trainers that you've cleaned? Because as we mentioned our previous student, he recently told me that he sold a pair of trainers for like £82,000. And I was thinking, I wonder if James has ever cleaned like a pair of trainers that's like 10, 20K. Yeah, I mean, I, he, I, obviously I'm, he's, he's in some cool circles. Um, and there's obviously a, a massively different scale within certain classes that buy and spend a lot. I yeah. don't know anything yeah. that is at that range. We've done, you know, stuff like the Air Dior Jordans. Yeah. Um, they're obviously at £15. Had a, had a guy from Knightsbridge post them to me, tracked 48 with no insurance. Oh, my God. In a mailing bag. And I'm like, I was like, you, if you think I'm sending them back that way, you have absolutely no chance. I was like... Oh, I, my I God, the anxiety. Um, you know, we've done stuff, the, 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 a crazy pair of Nike Fragment Dunks that on StockX were like about nine grand. So yeah, we do some crazy. We've done some crazy. Yeah. And strangely, it doesn't bother me. I just, just really, you know what you're doing, so it's fine. I guess it's the same. It's the same materials. I don't know. I mean, I don't know much about trainers. I'm not going to lie, <laughs> but I'm yeah, learning. Yeah. I'm learning a lot. Um, and I guess it's kind of like handbags in terms of you know, there's that business model where people go and get their Chanel's or their Hermes. They're clean, don't they? So yeah, I guess it's kind of similar, like to that yeah because there's a big restoration market i'm debating going people are always telling me to go into it so yeah and i always i and it, i'm in the process of kind of looking at setting up a sister brand at the moment i don't mm-hmm. think i would go heavily into the restoration side of it only because i love restoration but from a business perspective it's very hard to it's set very up. time consuming as well i guess it takes a lot longer so i don't usually do the paint work within the business anymore i have someone that does the paint work for us and I had to paint a pair of trainers every day. And I literally turned around to the lads and I was like, I need to, I'm, I'm going home after this. Like, this has literally zapped every bit of energy from me. I, oh, I think I sat there for like about six, seven hours just painting. It's, Whoa. And I'm, whereas with cleaning, you can do like, you know, 10 to 15 pairs, of, you know, within a day. And it's very, right. like you said, restoration is very time consuming and it's hard to monetize. And mm-hmm. as much as I love to do things for passion and love, at some point when a brand grows and you get to that middle point of growth, you have to make the money to, to continue yeah. to grow. So I think I'd, I'd go into handbag, you know, I'd do like minor repairs. So like glue work, stitch work, minor paint work. And then, but I'd probably predominantly focus on the cleaning aspects of it. Mm. So, yeah. and it's, then That's I think nice. you actually, you end up having, you actually end up seeing customers more. I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know what leads to bags needing restoration? It's prolonging the cleaning of them. Ah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, if you stay on top of it, it's going yeah. to have to be in much better condition. I love so, the sustainability aspect of this. Yeah, it's great. It, it is, you know, and 
I was going to do a post. I, I haven't done it just because I didn't want to kind of advertise the value. But I, you know, I, if I, I've gone before, I said to one of the lads, I said, if you look at it in terms of how much monetary value we've actually, you know, saved from going into, you know, landfill, people yeah. going and buying again, like it's crazy, like per month, like the amount, the amount that people, you know, in terms of like reusing, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I just think it's such an incredible business model. Um, so talk to us about how you got into Selfridges because you had a pop-up there, didn't you, in the bullring? Yeah, so I previously had Harvey Nichols. Got Harvey Nichols about 10 months into business because oh, wow. I, was, I used to like buying nice clothes. So I was, you know, shopping at Harvey Nichols, getting on with, the, getting on with people. Well, like, oh, what do you do? And I was like, obviously, I, you know, I clean trainers. And then they approached me to, to come on board. So I had Harvey Nichols first. It was a similar situation, drop off, and then COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Harvey Nichols closed. They opened for maybe two or three weeks. But over a, a period of time, it was about eight months where they were closed. I'd ha- done a previous pop-up with Kurt Geiger, not Selfridges. Selfridges came to me during lockdown. They were like, really interested, want to work with you. We like what you've got going on at Harvey Nichols. However, obviously they're closed. You know, we'd like you to work with us, would you? And, I, you know, I was like, I think I was 25 at the time. And I was like, yeah, like, I'm not going to say no to that great opportunity. So I started working with Selfridges from that basically did another free pop-ups back to back with them manchester manchester again in the traffic center and then we did birmingham and then we were with Selfridges for about a year it really was, that's really yeah. that's a long time it was good it probably could have been longer but it just didn't suit the business at the time okay. it was great like, it was it was it was an incredible experience but we were quite a small fish in comparison to everything else going on within that department right. store right. and it was very hard i couldn't service the cost of having somebody sat in store just selling the service so it was basically ran by Selfridges customers would walk in they'd drop the trainers in we'd collect it take it back to the the unit we'd clean it and then we'd drop it back to Selfridges and customers could collect so it was essentially like a Birmingham drop-off location yeah but obviously once I got my store in Birmingham for me taking back control of that customer experience having that direct consumer relationship was just far it just outweighed having that time mm. with Selfridges it was so good from like a credibility perspective yeah it opened my, yeah it, it was really good I, I'll never knock it it just didn't work as it as it hit you know in a different city where I didn't have much of a presence it would be great to grow but I think within Birmingham like we were the original sneaker cleaning company yeah and we, we, you know I, I, carry my own weight now in a, in, a, in, a, in a humble way yeah well you've got an amazing client portfolio from what i've seen on your on your socials so you know that's incredible yeah we have a, we have a, a wide variety of clients it's crazy and i think there's what the, the strange thing about the sneaker class, i mean it's an amazing thing but we have like a cult following of people from birmingham that have watched it, it grow mm. people are so behind the brand in terms of watching it grow go through various different things so it's been interesting and our clientele ranges massively as well that you couldn't believe i actually knew about you because my brother my brother's brought his trainers to you a fair few times um uh i don't know lewis johnson i don't know he's probably just okay there you go yeah so lewis told me about you ages ago when i told him we were getting you on the podcast to interview you he was buzzing he's like i can't wait to hear that 
Um, so yeah, it's really it's really nice, isn't it? Like you said, you've got all these like local customers that have supported you and and things like that. And I suppose do, does it help when like people are like obviously giving you like positive word of mouth on social media and and those kind of like face to face recommendations? Yeah. So I so basically the way that the business grew in the early days. So I would like I so I started the business in my mom's kitchen. I would basically go out. I'd go and collect trainers. Um, in like, I, know, I had like a, I think I was in a Voxel Mocker at the time, just driving about, going and getting trainers, meeting customers, I'd take them back to Worcester, clean them for about two or three days, do another day out on the road. So in the early days, I was meeting everybody, getting to know them, and word of mouth was so powerful. Like, it's the most powerful form of marketing you can ever ask for. And that's when you really have to own it. And it can, it can go one way or the other. So I've always kind of valued it as being an important part of our growth. So I've always placed an importance on it. So for me, personability within a brand is, is very important. So that's kind of allowed us to grow in Birmingham massively. And you can see there's a huge trend in marketing in like humanization and people like to see the people behind the brands, don't they? Um, yeah. And yeah, I think when they get a snippet of your lifestyle and things like that, um, I think it really helps. It's hard though. So like, I mean, I... We do so well on social media when I put myself out there. But as the brand's grown, as I've grown up as well, and kind of gone down more of a private life and understood the kind of the value of actually being present with like the people that are close to you, yeah. I, it's been harder for me to put myself out there. However, it's been so detrimental to like my success. And it's crazy. People love seeing you. They, they like knowing that you're not a faceless brand. Yeah. And I... I learned that from Gymshark. I mean, I did a very, I did a, I did roles from like customer service to recruitment, loads of different things at Gymshark. And the biggest thing that I took away from their customer support, it was Matt. I, they were like, oh, do you want to come and do customer support to get your foot in the door? And I was like, yeah, go on. I've done plenty of it in my past life, really mundane and boring. And just, but actually, I went to Gymshark and you're like you're chatting to people, you're like using emojis, it's really personable. You're having like you're building rapport quickly with people that are your own age, and that's why they've done so well. Well, why they did do so well in the early days for their customers. So I think yeah. I've taken that experience and put it into the sneaker dot, and it allows us to. I think I, that's what that's worked with Gymshark so well because we went to the head office just to do just to take our students there, and even how they treat their staff, it's very casual and very openly friendly. So I think that travels through from how they treat their staff through to maybe how they communicate with their consumers. It is very like a friendship, I guess. Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. So yeah, I can, I can I can appreciate that. So yeah, so I think that business model just works really well. People, and I think that's why people have backed you because they've seen your growth and they understand your journey and how much effort you've put into the brand that they want you to do well rather than, like you said, it being like a faceless brand where, you know, you could have a team of 50 behind you and nobody knows, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's been the hardest, the, as we've kind of gone further down the path, that's been the harder thing, is actually... Great. And realising that actually, there's another 4,000 followers and they actually don't know the mm -hmm. me from three years ago. So obviously that, that's why now I'm kind of injecting more of the story back into it. And it is good. Like it, it does play such a key part in building that rapport with your customers. And that's what's nice about having the shop in Birmingham. So yeah. I, I can get on with anybody. And I, can, I, I'm, I go through life where, for me, everybody's on a level playing field. I don't care if you're a multimillionaire. I don't care if you live on a council estate. I'll give everyone the same level of respect. I feel like when people see that in person, 
and, and they, they can build support with you, they become more connected to the brand. 100%. 100%. Yeah, I think if you kind of turned your nose up at somebody bringing in, I don't know, like a £200 pair of trainers versus somebody that's bringing in 3000 they're really going to notice that difference of how you treat them. So like you said, if everybody's on the same playing field, well, then they're going to think, well, I'm just going to keep coming back because he's such a nice guy. Again, it's like word of mouth, but you're going to pass on your great experience, your great customer experience and what an amazing business it is. So there you go. It's back to that word of mouth model again. I literally said it earlier today to, to one of the lads for you. said, great experiences compound over time. So... You know, you can have moments when you might be quiet, but just, just keep getting on with it. Just keep focusing on delivering a great result and a great experience because those 20 people will go and tell, you know, another 20 people and it will grow from there. So, and, and often you can get into a kind of, you can forget to look back. And if you look back a year ago, you're actually in a much better place now. And I yeah. think that a big part of that is like compounding those small, great experiences. Absolutely. And if you've got a returning customer, even better. Like if you look back and that person was still with you a year ago, brilliant. Then it's working, you know? Yeah. So that's the powerful thing about the sneaker doc is that there was, and it was, is it toxic? I don't know. It, it's good that I got to a period where I didn't have to post to have enough working because of retention, because of returning customers. And because I use WhatsApp business for customer communication and it's a very powerful tool to have. Like people just message the phone constantly like, oh, I've been giving you a number for this and that. Sometimes because of how powerful retention is, we don't have to post for the business to still exist. Yeah, but, but to grow. That's, yeah. That's the thing. Absolutely. So I'm getting back into that stage of like trying to push it and grow it again now. It's been interesting. Yeah, it's been, been an interesting four and a half years. I want to ask about, so you've got, obviously you've got Simba. You've got your dog Simba um he's amazing i love that you always post and i've actually got a dog called simba so when you post oh, yeah. Like, ah! yeah he's a french bulldog oh, amazing so when i got simba simba was three and a half months so i rehomed him from just a family that just couldn't really look after just didn't have the means or like the energy to look after him and the little boy had named it simba and my ex-partner at the time when it was like oh, can we rename it i was like absolutely not I am not renaming that boy, but he he really embodies like that name now. Same with my boys, so exactly the same. We rescued him; that he was Simba, and that was it. There was no change in his yeah. name, but Simba's great, great name, great dog name. He doesn't come to the office as much as I would like him to anymore because he's so needy, um, <laughs> and he gets very grumpy when he's there. But in the Does early it? days, yeah, he used to spend so much time, and he used to come out in the van with me. Customers love him. The only thing now, I get a bit scared about posting him all the time just because of the way the world's going. But when I do post him, people love him and they just really connect to him. So, yeah, it's cool. Like, he was, people love him on the, on the business page. It's crazy. Yeah, it's part How of your brand, you isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. He really is. So I just need to get him a little, like, you know, it's got the branding on it. Yeah, a little gilet or something, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. But it, down to the point where when I was designing the office, I was like, oh, right, I'll make this little section for Simba. And then I'll have this. So like even down to like the cupboards, I was going to have like half doors on, on like the, the cupboards in the main room. And I'm like, no, like I need folds because I want to yeah. the place. And I don't want to be like, what's he doing? Yeah, and look, he's there chewing on a 500 pound of trainer. Wow, well, luckily, luckily, <laughs> not that, because, of, I mean, because he was around my shop from early, he's never like been like a trainer type of dog. So like he's never going Thank to the God. Yeah, You just have really to make like, sure he's not a handbag dog as well. Don't, because handbags are <laughs> I didn't realise how 
I mean, you don't, but yeah, until, until you start looking, Jesus, compared to trainers, it's a completely different ball game. It's wild. It it's really absolutely is. wild. Crazy so, world. Well, I only learned how much your backing was the other day. I, madness. Who has that much disposable income to just drop 50K on a handbag? Even <laughs> if I did, I wouldn't. It blows my mind. I mean, the Chanel's, I've spoken about this multiple times. I could jump on the Chanel wagon. We all know that, but yeah. I think the Chanel market's massive as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think if I was going to buy a designer bag now, I would buy secondhand because they're just, they're so good. And if you look at, I don't know, for a Chanel example, the gold hardware isn't real gold anymore. It's just like plated. So it's not as good quality as it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So I would not buy a pair of Chanel sneakers. Would you not? The worst quality of suede is the most atrociously poor quality. Wow. You just can't. There's just, there's just not much give in terms of actually, like, if someone's clattered them on a night out, there is not much that you can do. It's, it's crazy, like, that you really do. I feel like Louboutin is a great brand, albeit I mentioned about the dive, it's very rare. Louboutin were absolutely incredible. Obviously, they're not really on trend as much anymore. Mm. McQueen were great. Chloe's? Good, very good, actually. And you know what? A great price point as well. Yeah, That's yeah. A great price point, so... It's good. Yeah, yeah, it's mad. You wouldn't imagine it. Interesting. Oh, love the goss. Yeah, somebody said to me years ago that um, the Chanel's that go for like 7K, they're actually produced and made for like £250. And you think, wow, the power of marketing is, is crazy. It really is. But you'd think for such an expensive brand that it would be top quality. No, absolutely. I, that's why coming onto this podcast, that's kind of what I was really looking forward to as well. It wasn't just... Mm -hmm. That there's a different element obviously people often want to talk about the brand and what we do and my journey but this kind of allows me to actually talk about the products and what we do yeah which is which is yeah. perfect because obviously that's that, that's the world that you come from and it honestly yeah. it's it's, in, it's insane but it's also insane how you know various brands have control over the market i get to see trends so much as well you know over, over the course of the four years so when i started it was all gucci aces alexander mcqueen's yeah winners and then you have the Jordan hype. And right now, it's like Dior and Louis Vuitton. Chanel, about a year and a half ago, was really popular. Yeah. So yeah, through yeah. the business, I get to see the fashion trends as well, which is pretty cool. So where do you think it's going, though? If you could predict a brand for 2023, what would you say it is? Ooh, good question. I'm putting you on the spot now. Sorry, James. <laughs> At the moment, I feel like there's so much influential power behind brands like Louis Vuitton and Dior. I feel like they take... They probably, they always come to market with a trainer that leads the direction for the rest of the market. And obviously everything at the moment is going very kind of chunky and skater. Yeah. Often when I look into trends, I really hope that they, they use nice materials. Mm. However, and we often have this conversation, the materials that are getting used on trainers are getting so much more complex. So you've seen a lot more of, of suede, a lot more kind of different embellishments, glitter, which for me isn't great. But in terms yeah. of how trainers look it is great so for me i feel like louis vuitton and Dior will always kind of kind of shape the way but then what will happen which is kind of nice to see you have obviously, obviously a lot of smaller brands stuff like represent arnie clo that are more affordable 
obviously entering the marketplace and people like you know Axel Arigato. Oh, I love those. I'd love a pair of those. Are they good quality? Yeah, they're good quality, but they're, and they're accessible as well. Yeah, exactly. What about um, good old Balenciaga? Are we seeing people deciding not to uh, <laughs> purchase those or bring those in based on everything that's happening? Or So I had the conversation. So one of my best mates is um, one of the designers at Gymshark. She's one of the female designers. And I, I had this conversation with her, and she was like, I don't think it's going to have that much of an effect. They're still selling out. Really? Okay. And as much as, you know, I, I won't ever get involved in that political side of it, I've got three T-shirts from Balenciaga that cost me a hell of a lot of money, and I could not imagine just chucking them in the bin right now because just, of what's happening. Yeah. But would you sell them, or would you just still wear them and be fine about it? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Have you, wore, have you worn them since the no. news has come out? Oh, there you go. Ah. You just don't know how people are going to react. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing. That's the thing. And I think a lot of people are waiting on that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it plays out. I don't know. I just Because people still love the brands. And so many people have so many expensive trainers. And at the end of the day, do you know what it is? So for me, with the Balenciaga t-shirt, it might cost £700, but it will only resell for like 120 So then you kind of get... Uh, it's not holding the value. Out. It doesn't hold its value. So people have still put a, a big chunk of money into that. And for a lot of people, you know, it was, it was a bit, you know, people will have saved up, they would have put a lot of money into it. So you I want to get your cost per wear, don't you? That's the thing. Absolutely. Well, that's how I shop now. I, I don't really go for, you know, grandiose designs that might, I might not be able to wear. I go for more plain. I love my basics. I love Arkit. Arkit is like one of my favorite brands at the moment because I feel like now I, I look more for, like you say, cost per wear. Like how much, how much yeah. can I actually get from garment? And I do that with trainers. And I try and say to customers, if you want me to advise you on what to get, I happily will because I can tell you what you'll be able to wear lots of and we can make it look brand new. I'll be able to tell mm. you what probably you'll only be able to wear once or twice. So Chanel, the white suede, you can only wear that once or twice and it's not going to look the same. And your £1,300 oh, wow. isn't going to feel like £1,300 anymore. That's mad. I want to ask about the LV trainers. You said that they're really popular, but with their bags, it tends to be, um, it's like a plastic canvas, isn't it? Not yeah. all of the bags are leather. Is that the same with the trainers then? Because I know that that kind of plastic, they say the plastic is easier to clean based on leather, but I guess from a trainer perspective, how much of it is leather? Most of it is, is, is good quality leather. They do, they, you know, they've done, they've done a couple of trainers where they've had like, there's, there's, there's one style of runner where it's like, a, it's the white monogram print and you have the grey monogram print, you have like the brown. Yeah. And that, that is definitely still, as you say, that plastic that you, you just, you've just referenced to, I don't know the term for it. Um, but yeah, mostly it's, it's nice, beautiful, soft Napa leather. And that, okay. that seems to, you know, age in a very nice way. Interesting. Oh, I see trainers in a completely different light now. I'm going to yeah, have to come to you. Yeah, we're going to have to just message you and be like, like, tell us, is this worth an investment to buy this shoe? Honestly, do it, because it, 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 it's getting wild, the cost of trainers these days. It is, isn't it? I mean, people are really starting to collect them. They seem as like a collector's item as well, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that whole resale market's crazy. Yeah. It's, I'm, I have mixed views with it. It's one of those, it's, it's, uh, it's the nature of, of mm. the market. People obviously earn great money from it, but then it also makes it harder for people that really want that trainer. Yeah. Yeah, because there's they're limited, aren't they? So there's only yeah. a small amount. Was, but I mean, I I paid over the odds for for a pair, a pair of duals. I paid for twelve seven five. I, I ended up selling them because I was like, I can't wow. just even though I can clean these and make you know 
Yeah. Oh, so these Dior's, they have 3M on the front, on the toe box. Right. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't replicate 3M. Mm. There's not a chance. They're never going to be able to paint 3M. And yeah. I was like, I am one trip away and I'm very clumsy. <laughs> of a scarf. Um, of a scarf <laughs> that I can't save. Um, and although I could save most things, I was like, I can't save that. So, yeah, yeah I just think it's a, it's a mad marketplace. And it, it, it's beneficial to the business model, absolutely, because people mm. now hold more value. They want, they want to retain that, you know, that pair for themselves. And like you said, people are growing that collection. But I think people are also going more towards that kind of premium luxury UK-based brand that is at a better price point. Yeah. I'm asked, like, I love Represent at the moment because I used to love my designer, but I can now get seven or eight garments the same price absolutely absolutely and, and, so uh, yeah it's, it's crazy the way the world's going but I, I feel like it's just the sneaker marketplace is going to continue to grow and grow and grow i kind of saw it as um like i'd save up like a luxury handbag or blah 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 but after balenciaga it really made me think about the luxury industry and how almost how fickle it is or how something can just change the market and put you off investing into luxury like balenciaga for example if you had loads of stuff with balenciaga and then that happened it's almost worthless so you're not buying into a product that may be really good quality you could be buying like you said chanel that's a little bit shit but it's just that price point they put on it so it's almost like the cost doesn't mean it's it's premium goods you know i have so many customers that come in and they're irate and they're annoyed because their expensive trainers have the glues came away mm. and they're like i'm gonna go to the shop and i'm gonna tell them this and they're gonna i'm gonna tell them to, i'm like they're not going to give you a new pair because they don't mm. need to they're so powerful that they don't really care they don't have to they don't have they don't to, have to like, and, and that's a and it's not a nice thing, but that's the way the world is. So actually, when you mm. delve into these smaller brands, you are going to get a much better quality and, and, and a brand that cares about what they're providing you with. Yeah, I completely agree. So interesting. So interesting. So final thing, what's gonna, what's for you for 2023? What's, what's your goal? So for me, I mean, it, it's something that I'm trying to figure out at the moment because obviously we had a bit of two bad incidents at the back end of July that we recovered from. And then I've also obviously spent a lot of time building that shop yeah. which was such a humongous project so I'm kind of in a vibe where I just want the business to exist and I just want to provide a great service and see where it gets us I just kind of want to be I just want to kind of like you say consistent with, with what we provide and I feel like that will allow me to grow however at some point I want to keep pushing the products so I've been trying to launch for quite a while now kind of um, things like cleaning solution shoe trees that go into your trainers cleaning wipes things that can allow me to scale yeah because at the moment i rely on the service to bring the profit into the business for the business to exist yeah and it has to but what i would like in the future is that we move to more of a, an e-commerce product-based business in terms of where the where the revenue and the money comes in from so that i don't rely on the service as much for the business to exist so then the business becomes more of a nice to have and more of a brand experience. So we can, you know, maybe offer a better price point or spend more tra- more time on a specific pair of trainers because I don't rely on it to prop up the business. So for yeah. me, I want to try and go into the products, but I will never forget the service, if anything, going into the products is to almost relieve the strain of having to grow a service-based business 
and still being able to actually offer a better service to customers. That's the way that it's going, isn't it, in retail these days? It's all about brand experiences and what. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we talk about it all the time and how the customer is changing and what they yeah. what they want from a from a brand. Yeah, I'm I'm covering it in my um, my PhD. The crux of my PhD is around value co creation, um, and how that those kind of community building things and all those activities and your face-to-face activities with your customers are, are what saves brands sometimes even in t- times of crisis so I think it's only going to continue to grow that way and I think yeah it sounds like you've got some amazing things lined up and we'll yeah, definitely be supporting you and um 100%. and yeah we'll be bigging you up on social media and we're looking out for your product launches and things yeah, like that it's amazing it's very true to say about customers can say a brand yeah I, I learned that first hand obviously you know, we're going to it but like so obviously we you know we were the, you know the victims of an armed robbery the back end of july i was so scared to put it out to the world because I, I was just like this is my baby that i spent four years building mm-hmm. and i i was i was so scared that no one would ever use this again and I put it out there and it went viral. And you know, the only nice thing that came from that was kind of actually finally gaining an understanding of the support that we had behind the brand. And if it wasn't for the, the customers that we had, I wouldn't be here still. That, that it, it's crazy like how powerful that support can be. And it's because you've built that relationship though, haven't you? Because you've built that yeah. relationship, they support you. Whereas like what I've been looking at in my research is how when brands don't have that support and then they hit a crisis, whatever the crisis might be, like I've just written a book chapter about Arcadia and Philip Green and about actually because there was no value there and no customer experience anymore and, and that link and relationship was gone and there was loads of other things that he'd done that actually when it came to closing down, no one cared, particularly people were very anti-Arcadia. And, and Arcadia didn't care either. I mean, I, had, I have friends that, that you know, um, manufacturers and they had multi-million pounds worth of orders they had one order on water and I think Arcadia turned around and were like probably not going to pay you for it that's horrific you still got to send it like wow. so uh, yeah they literally did and like you say it's almost like oh it's kind of bizarre mm-hmm. because you've got some relationship with your customers and with the people that supply you what's going to happen absolutely so you've got to keep doing it keep you know, that's the crux of having how especially for fashion people want to be part of a community they want to feel loved they want to feel you know feel connected and if it, when, when that's not there what happened to you guys last year oh, it's so reflective of of the relationships you've built because maybe if you haven't built those amazing relationships and given that amazing customer service then it might not have worked out yeah absolutely. like that so it's a true reflection of us, of you and, and your business model, which is just, yeah, bravo from us. We love it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, James. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. And I can't wait to see what's in store for 2023. Definitely. If you have anything yes. to do, stop by and see the office as well. Oh, we'd love oh, to. Oh, we'd love to. We should Definitely. do that. We should arrange a little trip back into Birmingham. We'll come and see Pete. And then we'll come and see you as well. That'd be amazing. Yeah, deal. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. No, thank you, Jane. No problem. Right, I'll catch you soon, all right? Bye. See ya. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much to James Harper, the sneaker doc. What an incredibly insightful conversation. And it's really interesting to hear more about his business model. Thank you to our listeners once again for joining into the Fashademics. If you have any questions or if you would like to feature on this podcast, please do reach out at the Fashademics on Instagram. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And we look forward to hearing and speaking to you soon. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on your podcast app.